What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Random Car Guys. It's been a while, but we're back. Um, got a mate on the podcast today. Uh, not very often I have a mate in the Random Car Guys space on the podcast, but um, Chris Chilcott is on the podcast with us. Uh, Chris is a designer for Recaro. We're both from Wales, grew up playing golf together, and now we both find ourselves out in the States. Small world, isn't it? Absolutely a small world. And actually just kind of technically up the road, right? It would be yeah. be in a different country in Europe, but now we're in the same country and we're just, what is it, two, three hours away? Yeah, it's nothing. So, You're down in Dallas and yeah, we can, is, is Recaro's base in Dallas then? So Recaro's American basically headquarters for aircraft seating is just, just south of the uh, Texas Motor Speedway. Oh, so nice. Right by the airport there where the big FedEx base is. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. that's, it's, I mean, it's perfectly placed because of American Airlines and Southwest obviously being based here in Dallas. Yeah. So that's why we actually use American Airlines that brought us here. Sure. So even though the home of, home of uh, Recaro is actually Germany. Mm-hmm. So it's Stuttgart actually. So yeah. it was, uh, the brand actually, it has, it's a history that not many people realize is actually the, the Porsche brand and the Recaro brand mm-hmm. went hand in hand at the beginning. Okay. And so Ferdinand Porsche and Reuter were the two owners of basically were developing the early designs of the cars and then they split off. So yep. Ferdinand Porsche took the, the car chassis element, even though that was Reuter's kind of um, place. And then they, the Recaro brand came out of it then because Porsche asked them to design seats for them. Uh, okay. And so that's where the Recaro brand was born. But actually, Recaro was made its money because they were the first ones to develop the Cabriolet. Sure. And so apparently, back in the day, used to if you were rich enough, you owned two cars: one with a one with no top and one with a top. Yeah. And so what Recaro did was, or Reuter Carrosserie at the time, they developed the Cabriolet, so you could only have one car, and then it yeah. would be top. You could pull the top down. So. Nice. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. that's some good uh, consumer knowledge for sure. But <laughs> we, uh, you know, we, we both grew up in Wales, both grew up in Bridgend pretty much. And you went to Swansea Uni, right? For, for, so right? I, went, I went to Swansea Institute for my, my bachelor's and then I studied well, transportation automotive design in Swansea. Yeah. And then I went on to Milan then to do my master's in car design, automotive design. And so, yeah. But I still don't design cars. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> but you, you went to university and I guess car, designing cars has always been the dream though, right? I mean, you still do uh, sketching and, and CAD yeah. stuff, right? For fun. I still, I still do it for fun. Um, what I realized was there was, that once you kill that passion, right, you, got, you have a mix of love and then making money. Yeah. And sometimes they shouldn't collide. Sometimes they should. I mean, they say that it's easier to work on something if you're really passionate about it, but sometimes it's hard to, like, I love cars for the essence of it. I love the idea and like the beauty of them. But when you, when you have to go through that torturous task of four years, five years of development, it's, yeah, it grinds away at your passion. (laughs) So, so, I mean, the air industry has been in my in my family for a long time. So my grandfather worked for British Airways. My father worked for British Airways, then GE. Okay. And still does. Yeah. Even Nathan now so is now working with engines in Ireland. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, I saw he was in Ireland. I didn't know why. Yeah. So my brother. So Good. just so everyone who doesn't know. Yeah. So we're yeah. all in the air industry really now. And 
I, I don't miss it. I can still now just enjoy cars for what they are. Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've loved cars since I was a little boy. Yeah. It was, it was the one thing I used to sketch as I used to, Formula One was my big one for, from a very young age. Like I can still remember like the, the big, the first memory for me is Nigel Mansell's Camel Williams mm-hmm. racing against, you know, Senna and his J, uh, JPS Lotus. And that was my first, first yeah. thing of cars. And, but my mom always used to say it was weird that I didn't actually sketch. I used to be able to sketch all the helmets and everything as well in the right colors. So I was kind of detail orientated that I don't know why. I just, yeah. that's how, like, I, like Thomas the Tank even. I used to be able to recognize my faces, my mom would say. It was, and then not just the colors. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I just loved that idea of, you know, that, that motorsport back in the day. Um, what I learned though, after growing up a little bit more is it's, it's, it's beautiful on the outside and it's ugly on the inside. Yeah. So, cause we did some, I did, I did an internship at a racing team at 16 and those cars look so beautiful from like, you know, 20, 30 yards away. And then you get yeah. inside and you're like, Oh, it's horrific. <laughs> it yeah. stinks and it's dirty and, Oh, but yeah, it's, it's still, I mean, it's passion, right? It's, right. It, it definitely drives passion. We're talking about Mustangs and stuff. Mm. Like it's affordable. It's affordable fun too. Yeah. That's, and that's one thing like, you know, we can get into this a little bit as well. Like the difference between car culture out here compared to car culture back home, like back home, the only people who modify their cars back home is like the KAs, the Novas, the like the courses, like yeah. little hatchback that cost you a grand and you have a speaker system in it that cost you a grand as well. Right. Exactly. You know? you well, I mean, if you can afford a nice car, you don't touch it. Right. So yeah. you appreciate it for what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about, I mean, Wales is definitely not a temple for motorsport, right? It's yeah like back home for us. I mean, Landau was the closest thing to a racetrack that we have and they haven't raced really there for years. So yeah, I mean, Silverstone is the home of it for the UK, but yeah, I agree with you. Like it's chavvy almost to rent to to tune up a car in the UK. So, but yeah, but here, but I mean, here they touch everything. I mean, it shocked me when I moved here first, the trucks, for example, Mm. Right. I mean, I'm like, you can buy those raised up trucks with, with tuned engines that are obnoxious, for example, right. if as a Brit coming over, it's obnoxious, yeah, it but then you kind of get used to it and it becomes normal because there's enough space for it. So yeah, I still cool. rather a Lotus Elise than a Mustang, but uh, that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> so. What are the, what are the roads like down there for you? Are there any like half decent driving roads down there for you? I mean, if you drive the back roads, for sure, yeah. is definite. I mean, if you want to drive, like the motorcyclists always take the back roads, right? I yep. mean, and you've got the back road to Houston, for example, or you take the highways. Um, I always, I always had the thing: if you follow the bikers, you know where to take the driving roads. I mean, that makes sense. we were driving once, I think, back from Houston. It's about four hours, and it was the traffic was horrific, and we ended up taking a back road middle of nowhere, which is like, yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a shock to the system for me and my wife. We were yeah. running out of gas, well, fuel, yeah. gas. Um, but we ended up at uh, an area called Corsicana okay. and the Lake Corsicana. And it was the most beautiful 
uh, lake that you drive over the top of. And I was like, these are the kind of roads that, you know, you don't know about unless you document them. They're not the equivalent to like the European Alp roads or sure. things like that, or even the Brecon. better than driving on the highway. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The highway is the most frustrating thing ever here. It's, yeah. It feels slow. After living in Germany, like with the, Bund, uh, with the uh, you know, the open speed. Yeah. There, I mean, moving here was, but I feel like they drive faster here than they do in Germany. It's, yeah, <laughs> I felt safer if I'm honest in Germany. Yeah. It's that just that straight line speed out here compared to back home, and then that's yep. really that's, unless you're like a designated track racer and you know you have a track car and you want to drive around. There's there's a circuit in Oklahoma about an hour and a half away, and you know people go there on the weekends. But for your everyday driving, like this. You know, as much as I'd like, I've driven a few, uh, you know, nice cars and I'm like, where, where do you drive these? Like the yes. other day I, I had a Mustang GT350 for a little, took some photos of it for a friend's dealership. I'm like, you know, this is supposed, this thing's supposed to go around corners and I can't find the corner to save my <laughs> Like, so it's I'm just true though. Flooring, it's true. It, flooring it through first and second for two days because I can't go over, you know, I floor it in second. I'm doing 70 mile an hour. I'm like, oh, I should probably break right now. But it's like the police also know around here where the, the good yeah. roads are. So they just hang around the corner behind the bush. At least in the UK, you know where they are because they have to be obvious. Exactly. Here they can hide wherever they want and you're stuck. So you got to invest in a radar to, to try and find out where they are. And then you're still exactly. getting gambled. <laughs> but, oh, it's nuts. But have you had any time to get into like the, you know, go to Dallas coffee and cars or get into like, see any of the street stuff? No, I haven't. I mean, in the neighborhood, they, there's some car junkies in the neighborhood that love it here. They yeah. get together and obviously Texas motor speedway. There's just on the road. They get a lot of get togethers. You see a lot of old cars on mm-hmm. the road. Personally, I haven't really got involved in it. I mean, it's, it doesn't always, uh, doesn't always fit my kind it's, of friends group. Yeah. I head down to there, but like I've always, I've definitely been interested in getting down to one of maybe the IndyCar races hmm. down there and maybe not NASCAR. I'm not a, I yeah, just no. can't. I went to one NASCAR race down in, down in Texas and yeah, we're, my, I was lucky enough, my old golf coach, his sister works for Richard Childress Racing. Okay. So her husband, I guess his brother-in-law works as a tech on one of the teams. So we got like in, we're in the infield and in the pits and that's the only way I'd ever go because I can't, yeah. can't sit in stands. No. Uh, and it was great to be on the inside and see everything. And But, I mean, once the race starts, you're bored out of your mind. I mean, I'd rather watch the highlights after because you're going to see all the smashes and everything yeah, exactly. afterwards anyway, the yeah. bumping and so on. But at least, I mean, the IndyCar has gotten more interesting, I think. Mm. Um, I actually think the IndyCars are starting to look really cool now. They. Yeah. They were, I mean, Formula One cars were way ahead for a long, long time from, if you look at just desirability of a, of a vehicle, right? But I mean, I think since the, the new visor topics, like these, these new halo rings, I think the Indy cars have gotten kind of like fighter jet-ish. They're kind of, hmm. it's very American. I mean, yeah. the, the well, way they they're going to get appealing, right? Because it's not really, yeah. a, you know, NASCAR is the sport out here, isn't it? And they try and- I mean, here in the South, for sure. I mean, yeah. like in this area, it's amazing when, when you get the Texas races here, how like this whole area is packed. Hmm. Like if I wanted to, I could rent my house out if I want, like and yeah. easily in this area, living 10 minutes from the racetrack. And like, you can hear the noise from, even from my house. If the wind is right, it's just unbelievable. The sound of it, especially when they start up. So, but uh, yeah, like, uh, like you said, I can't going round and round. Yeah. Even the, Indi- even the Indy 500 with the NASCAR, with the Indy cars. The only reason why I watched it was Fernando Alonso. Right. 
if I'm honest. That was yeah. the only that was the only thing that appealed to me. And when he didn't make it, I didn't watch the race. So I was like, ah. but I mean, other sports I've gotten into, but I'm still I'm still more passionate about the yeah. uh, European motorsports. So back to your, you know, you obviously you went to uni. Swansea Uni is quite known for his automotive design, isn't it? I mean, it's so when I was there, it was not so uh, like it was the first couple of years when okay. I was there. Um, they have some really good teachers there. So they one of the teachers was ex Pininfarina. Oh, wow. Um, so he was super talented Italian designer, very so you expect Italians to be very like flamboyant and kind of out there, but actually they're very strict okay. when they come to design. They, they, they love the heritage and they love the history. And then I had another designer then who was there that was teaching us who actually worked on the London taxi, the new development yeah. of the London taxi. And he was a bit wild. Like it was like, he wanted us to do crazy concepts and then the Italian guy would like bring it back down to earth and like slowly, okay, technical package, work, right? yeah, yeah. technical package drawing and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So that was, that was kind of my uh, lead into it. I actually didn't know it existed. Honestly, I was, okay. I went like, if you think about the, like going to school, no one does design at school. Yeah. I mean, you do, uh, what was it design and technology DT, or something like yeah. that in, sco- DT yeah. in school, but it's crap. It was it terrible. Is, yeah, you're right. You don't you're learn how to design anything. Lamps and stuff. Yeah, it was ter- woodwork and yeah. all that. And I, I mean, I'm not a, I haven't got green thumbs and I can't build anything. I could design stuff, but I can't build it. Yeah, same. So, so when, and my mom was asking me when I was about 17, 18, what are you going to do? And I had this, I wanted to do design, right. but I just didn't know how to do it. And then, so I applied for a couple of different places and I got into Swansea and after that then I just suddenly got engulfed in this world of but I was so naive like I would they would they would sit in a group and a little bit like um for us playing golf right I was when I was got to Milan I was getting taught by the equivalent to like a Sevi Ballesteros or someone teaching me play got to play golf yeah but I didn't know these people so like they like I was almost I wasn't afraid of them because I didn't know who they were. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of a cool, cool thing coming from Wales. Cause we're such a small little nation. Yeah. Uh, when, and then you suddenly go out and it grows and I, like both of us, we're not even at home anymore. And you think about how small home is. Right. So when I got to that kind of different places, I didn't have a fear factor, but I was almost, I was so naive to all the, like, I was, like all the rules and stuff that I was breaking rules left, right yeah. and center, but it was, it worked to my advantage because I kind of did things my way. And what you learn as a designer is not about who's the most skilled. It's about who can, one who can tell a story, right? And that's the most, right. I mean, that's sales in general. Yeah. You know, that with uh, selling houses is who can sell who can tell a story and then who can manage their time. Right. So you can, you can have all the money also in the world, but it's not going to, if you don't manage your time, you're not going to deliver on, on the final day. So that, that was my advantage was coming from that camaraderie background. I'd work with other people. And so what I found out was maybe I was better at like managing mm-hmm. rather than actually being the aesthetic designer I gained the aesthetic knowledge afterwards. Okay. So, because at 21, you don't really know. Right. Uh, You're thrown in you the deep ex- end. Yeah. You need experience. I mean, yeah. you know, like like an artist isn't isn't rich until they're dead. Yeah. I mean, could be true about designers too, right? It's. I mean, you think about some of the famous design now 
in the world. You have a couple of unique guys in the world that are famous, right? But car designers, they really are famous. Like if you think about the, you really get into the circles of uh, like car enthusiasts. You mm-hmm. have people like Chris Bangle, um, Walter De Silva, right? These, if you can, if you get into, like if you're a Volkswagen lover, you yeah. know Walter De Silva. If you're a BMW lover, you know Chris Bangle, right? It's, it's, it's these guys are superstars. Right. And, um, but in the other niches, like Johnny Ive, maybe from Apple is kind of famous, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think it's folklore, like these kind of designers of the past, you know, like the Manzonis of Ferraris and so on. And so, but then the cool thing was in, in Milan, I actually had a scholarship with Audi and Lamborghini. Okay. So, so that's how got, you got to Milan, right? From so that's how I got to Milan. So that's when that's when the thirst for it really kicked off. Yeah. Because yeah, you're among some big players, in, and yeah. when you know you're 21 years old and someone's flashing yeah. know, Lamborghini in front of you, the logo. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. <laughs> so then it then it becomes surreal. Yeah. And like, and then so you're living in Milan, which is the capital of design for many. Right. If you think about what it, sure. it brings people together every April for something called the Salon de Mobile, which what is, year, what year was that? Uh, 2010, 2012, okay. I was there. Yeah. And like, so every year there's just like this, this breed of designers that are just coming out of there. And we were, so we were basically the course was run or funded by Volkswagen group. Yeah. So some people were sponsored by, you know, Volkswagen, some were sponsored by Audi, some got some sponsorship from other places. Mine happened to be Audi group. Um, but then we, we did projects then with the, with them, with the groups. So we did one project with Lamborghini themselves because they're, they're down the road in, in near Florida, well, Modena area toward Ferrari. So it was like, I think it was an hour and a half, two hour drive from Milan. So we got to visit their studios and we got to visit the, the headquarters um, as well as Ferrari, even though Ferrari was not, it was just a visit of the factory. Which I'm sure but, was amazing. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the thing that is like, we were like, oh, we want to drive a Ferrari. And then you realize you can't afford to as a student. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you could. Um, you rent one for the day. Exactly. But you'd see cars there that like you didn't know existed or, or cars that you've only seen in posters or mm. like there was, there was Kuntashes at the Lamborghini one, the red, there was the original Reventon, for example, yep. that they designed just kind of stuck on the wall, which is amazing. <laughs> the Lamborghini Formula One cars at Diablos. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know the old cars as well, honestly. I, like, again, that's a that's the naivety as well. Is yeah. you know, you you think going into car design, you I would know everything about car history. I, well, I don't. Thing, I know my generation. Yeah. Kind of thing, and I know a few of the icons back in the day, but I mean, like you know the Jaguar D types and E types because yeah. that's our heritage, right? That's sure, yeah. British. It's always a good word or whatever. Like it's always yeah. But I didn't know like the Alfa Romeos, for example, that we're, we're kind of like us, like car heads then should passionately yeah. know all about. And I had no idea about the Alfa Romeos, the, the original Lamborghinis, Ferraris. Yeah. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know them. So kind of going there and seeing them, I, I, I don't know. 
They do look all, like the old. I just want. I just got done watching Fangio, the documentary, mm-hmm. and every car back in the day looked the same. They were like, yeah, but Contra- then, like controversially, the I didn't think they were beautiful. Yeah, I didn't they think did. they were beautiful. Yeah. So, Until Mercedes came out with the, you know, their original whatever they were, the Silver Arrows. Yeah, but other everything else kind of looked the same. But that's right. a great documentary as well. During so you were kind of. In Milan and at Audi Lamborghini, when because the Huracan was released, what 13, 14, something like that. Yeah. So when I was, they fine. were talking about the new Urus, right? That was the the thing that was coming up then. Was they so that that yeah. you can think about how long it's taken to yeah. release the Urus. So there was there were already original talks about the Urus at that time. Wow. So that's how far back. That's how long it takes to and develop. That was released like, what, last year. Yeah. Two years ago, last year. Yeah. You're talking what's that? Eight years maybe in yeah. development. Like it, at least original talking of the of yeah. an idea of a four by four. Um, and and I, like I said, I wasn't even really at Lamborghini. I was just at a school where we right, happened to have the people come in. Yeah. So, but there was there was a few of the what like that was the crazy thing is like seeing this whole four by four, you know, large vehicles like topic coming up. Then yeah. there were people designing stuff then to start now, and now you start to see it come to come nice. to life. So that's the cool thing about getting to see design schools. Yeah. is seeing what the kids are thinking about. And then you, I guess that's why a lot of us designers go back to school mm. or go back and teach people because it kind of refreshes you. Yeah. You, you don't look at the limitations. And, yeah. You look at the freedom for once. Yeah. So that's been, that was kind of a, one of those ones that you kind of hang on. Oh yeah. The Urus was, yeah. was one of those ideas. I remember seeing a grill. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Seeing those kind of developments. Then, then you went, so how do you get from Milan to Germany? You go back to Wales or then, or do you? No. So go? I was, I was in, so I was in Milan. I was about to graduate. Our course got extended because it was supposed to be a one and a half year course. Okay. And it ended up being almost two years. And I had decided, my dad had told me early on, Hey, you need to apply much earlier than everyone else mm. just get applying even if you don't have the substance just start yeah and happened to be i i applied i sent 150 portfolios worldwide and as far as new zealand uh, in the in the east as far as california in the west and for some reason i only i had three offers all from german speaking countries I've never spoken German in my life, right? So, so yeah. I had I had an opportunity up in Airbus. Yeah, go to Airbus as a like a student, kind of like a, you go there as a student. They pay you money to be a, uh, sure. to kind of finish with them or you apprenticeship. And I was like, oh, that's that's great. But at the time, I was dating my wife D, and I and I was like, you know, I have to think about our whole future together. Right. And then this job came up at Recaro and I was like, okay, I thought it was the cars because my dad had told me it was like, he had a friend at Recaro and it's cool. I'll design car seats. So I went for my interview and they're like, "Uh, so you interested in aircraft seats and business class seats? I was like, "Uh, I guess. Sure. (laughs) So I was like, but then in the back of my head, I'd already had this like Airbus offer and I knew how much money they were going to pay, which was very little. Yeah. Um, and then Ricaro kind of showed me the full contract and I was like, I have no choice. I'm going there. So right. cause I couldn't, I couldn't afford not to. And Ricaro Germany is based in a tiny little town 
in the middle of nowhere. It's like, it's like uh, Koychich kind of thing, but even more secluded. And so I go there for the interview and it's in the middle of winter in Germany, snow. I catch a train. And the only reason why I knew I was in the right place was because of the time. So I didn't know the names or anything, but in Germany, if you just watch your watch, and the train will turn up exactly when it says. Yeah, that so that's how, I, that's how yeah. I did it. I jumped on. I got to this little town. The taxi driver screwed me out of 30 bucks because I didn't know. And did, yeah. I was like, to take me like five minutes from there to there. And I, and I went for the interview. I had a really great time talking to the head of design there at the time. And it went on for so long that I ended up missing my uh, train back. Right. to get to the airport. So they gave me this, this taxi driver. They, got, they, they called him up. They said, hey, we need you to get to the airport really fast. What I didn't realize was this guy was going to drive autobahn speeds on the back roads <laughs> all the way back to the airport. And I'm not, I don't do very well sitting in the back of a car. I never have. Yeah. I yeah. hate it. But when you're talking about windy, it's the same road, right? This is the road that Mercedes and Porsche use okay. to test their new cars out. Sure. So they basically drive it from the factory in Stuttgart all the way up this back road and then back down the autobahn then to test out the new cars. So you always, what I found out later was you'd see these uh, prototypes going along yeah, that road. Going up and down, yeah. But I was in a in the back of a Toyota Revensis. <laughs> <laughs> ripping not the road either so you're not knowing where the corners are coming from or the like white white knuckling the whole way <laughs> and i'm like just let me get back to milan <laughs> but uh, yeah i took the job and and then i ended up there and my first project actually was ricaro's first life at life flat business class seat okay so that was what i was i jumped straight into yeah and i've been there now since 2012 and yeah, so it's been a while. It's mad, that isn't it? Yeah, and so they, I, I came over here because there was there was an opportunity as the only English speaker really in the team. Okay. Um, and there was an opportunity to start working with the big airlines across over here. Yeah. We were gonna we were gonna move to Mexico uh, to be closer to Dee's family, and the company said that they would be interested in my services here in the U.S. And I thought, well, why not take the, the take the jump and. I've been in the U.S. now for three years. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember you telling me about like the whole visa situation and like, because you were down in Mexico for a while when you were just kind of yeah. waiting to come up and waiting for everything to go through. And, yeah. and then, you know, I remember you say you didn't really know, you know, you knew you were coming up, you just didn't know when. Yeah, just waiting for exactly. the And then you're on your way. It's a nightmare. So, I mean, even recently with the visa stuff, it's been crazy. So, yeah. but it's part of the adventure. I mean, oh, it's definitely. A, it definitely makes us a little bit more worldly. Yeah. And you start to appreciate some things back home more than you did before, I think, as well. So, yeah, definitely, I I get that too. It's especially with just growing up a little more, and you're like, mm, yeah, I get that. Back home, we'll yep. probably do a little better, a little different. I prefer that over this. But do you, uh, you know, do you get any special trips with work that you get to go on to the car side of things or not? So originally, we used to do every year. We used to have every designer in the company which yeah. was about 13 of us in total. That's so really from all, all the different segments. So we have yeah. seven of us in the, in the aircraft seating because aircraft seating is the largest part of the company. Sure. Then what happened was the owner of the company, put, uh, which is Martin Putsch, they sold off the, the car side and it's yeah. only licensed now. So it's yeah. a licensed deal. And originally Johnson Controls, 
own the actual uh, seeding side of it. And what happened was we were doing yearly, we, we were doing child safety seats, yeah. um, the car seeding. And then what happened was a company called Adiant, which is one of the largest uh, interior manufacturers for the car industry, okay. um, based in Detroit, they bought that element. But then they decided to go into aircraft seats too. And so obviously Recaro were like, well, sorry, we can't, we can't do that anymore. So we kind of split it up. So it's been maybe four years since we've really had that contact with the automotive people, which is disappointing because it's still our heritage. But what, what we've gained now is um, we're doing e-gaming chairs now. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. They're expensive. uh, But that's, I mean, I'm all about it. Like I'm all about that whole e-gaming scene as well. I just think it's, you know, it's, it's the whole reason that we, you know, we all grew up playing need for speed or whatever it was in the nineties and Forza and, you know, the first ones, but, and now like the, you know, especially with the lockdown, they're all doing F1 races and a mission mm-hmm. doing stuff as well. Like it's, and then you get into like the whole setup of the build, right? Yep. And these guys are playing for some serious, on like the big teams that, you know, they're playing some serious money. And if, if you've got an F1 driver, that's getting a, a custom seat, I'm sure there's some gamers that got custom seats too. For sure. I mean, there's obviously the, so the racing rigs, we've got like Recaro sponsor certain people and obviously the Gran Turismo events, you always see the Recaro brand. Um, So those rigs, but then we've also got just general uh, office seating too, which they've developed for. So basically they bought this, this gaming. So it's, the idea was they created seats that were designed by gamers for gamers. Okay. So, they, the idea, they, they took ergonomics to another level, looking at comfort. Like mm-hmm. they had some of these things like, uh, like an attack mode for your chair. So like you, you know, cause you don't sit back when you're gaming, you're kind of like into it. And what was happening was all these kids are kind of like getting all hunched up and so on. Yeah. And so what they did was trying to develop a chair that you could sit in a more ergonomic position, but more forward. I mean, I don't know how much it achieves. I, I I'm not into it in depth and, but the chairs look cool. Yeah. I mean, if I was, if I was full-time gaming and I was making a lot of money and I was trying to think about how I could like build up, because in the end, like if you look at your background, right, it says a lot about you, right? Yeah. I can, I can look at your background and I can understand what, who you are, what you yeah. like just by looking. And so these gamers now, they need, they kind of fill up their backgrounds to sure. show a bit more of their personality. So your chair is kind of part of that background now. Yeah, that makes and so I think that's where the brand has kind of taken advantage of that. We we did stadium seats for the same reason back in the day, right? All the Bundesliga had Recaro seats at one point. Sure, yeah. In behind all the players, so, yeah. so it's not a it's not a new thing. The Premier, Premier League teams are sponsored by like Audi and stuff, right? And I remember that yeah. having all the yeah. seats too. Yeah, so that was that was something that was invented in in the Bundesliga, and um, Recaro kind of took advantage of it. It's, I think it started at Stuttgart. Yeah. Because Stuttgart was the home. Um, and then it kind of built out and then they started getting more of these Recaro seats. And I remember being at Hockenheim uh, one year where they, and all in the VIP section, they had the same seats. So you could, like on that last, the last right-hander at Hockenheim where the drag strip is, sure. like up on the top left there is all the VIP seating. And so up there, it's all Recaro seats, like yeah. sit, to sit in that stand. So, but yeah, you uh, that's... Have you been to Austin yet? The race at Austin? It's one of my ones that I want to I wanna go and do. I mean, I, actually, I'm more tempted to go to the Mexico City race. 
because that just looks crazy. I mean, would it be easier for you to get tickets to that one as well? I think through friends and contacts, yeah. it would probably be a bit easier. But um, unfortunately, the the racetrack is not in the nicest part. Yeah. So getting there and logistics is a kind of a, a difficult one. But I don't know that what they've done to that Mexico City race. I think Austin has done it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I don't know if the people love Formula One as much here as they do, do in Mexico City. Yeah, I don't think they do. But that whole grandstand element where they do the final like podium and stuff in Mexico yeah. is crazy. That's... That blows my mind. So yeah. it's almost like Monza, for example, with the Italians. Sure. So, I mean, we can't even rival that as Brits. And we talk about being like the... Yeah, at Silverstone, camping, yeah. pissing down rain. <laughs> like, <laughs> no thanks. I don't think it's the same kind of lure as being in Mexico City or Austin. So, But I definitely want to go to that. I wouldn't mind going to see the MotoGP down there too. Okay. Because I know the MotoGP moved to Austin as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, you know, you keep saying you're going to do it. And then next thing it's here and you're like, ah, I didn't buy yeah. tickets. Next thing it's November and you don't have a ticket. And it's yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah. Now I think a few guys, this, uh, few of the guys up in Oklahoma city, they went, they went last year. They, they, they were, you know, they left town at like four thirty in the morning and just drove straight to Austin and they had a pretty cool convoy of cars. And even though they stopped a lot of times for petrol, they, they made it in a stupid amount of time. A couple of then a couple of Vipers and a couple of McLaren seven twenties and just just you know when you're up that early in the morning there's no one on the road especially when you get south of Oklahoma City there's yeah it, I mean it, doesn't it shock it, you though the cars that are on the road sometimes around here like yeah. like I know you were talking about just being able to drive them but like when I'm like I don't live in the sticks as such but I mean if you're back in the UK this is the sticks yeah throughout yeah. you I'm on I thirty five. Uh, out by the like north of the racetrack, but yeah. the amount the the amount of McLarens and stuff that I see on the road, like you don't even sometimes see that amount of McLarens in London. Yeah, you're you, right. right? It's it's like the money is just unbelievable. I don't know about Oklahoma. I can't yeah, talk for no, Oklahoma. No, it's, I mean it's definitely not to the level of what it is in Dallas. But you know, there's you go to the right neighborhoods, you're going to see some cars, and I think the willingness for people to drive them out here is much more than back home. And obviously, the weather's much better. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure. The roads aren't great up here, but in, obviously if you drive around enough, you're going to know where the good roads are, like just mm-hmm. the surface in general. Uh, but yeah, like it's some of the stuff that, you know, you, you go to coffee and cars or you go to a car show or car cruise and you think, you know, some guy has a, you know, um, we had a guy on the podcast previously, he's trying to buy a P1 right now. You know, and he, and he yeah. he's bought four. It, 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 the podcast was brilliant. It was like a three part one because we just kept talking. Mm-hmm. Um, very successful guy who just loves cars, and right. he's had pretty much everything. And he's trying to buy a P one right now. But you had a guy who had a Senna, um, you know, a couple of Pistas with custom, you know. Yeah, but these are not even normal cars. These are like yeah. These are like, yeah, bucket list cars. There's a guy I really want to get on the podcast. He's from up here. I'll I'll send you his contact information. And he's more in the classical race stuff. Mm -hmm. And he travels. He's retired. He's been very successful. And he travels around the country and around the world racing, doing classic races like the Mil Amelia and and all all this nuts stuff. He did one recently in in an old 356 Porsche, I think, in the snow. Like just – and he's – Got a warehouse downtown, got a bunch of old Ferraris in it, like a couple of Ford GTs, just, just a normal dude. 
Well, I mean, even, even if you think about some of these, um, like the cost of an F-150 even, I mean, yeah. it, shocked, it shocked me how much they actually cost. I mean, I find American cars really expensive, honestly. I, yeah. Compared I to back home. Finance culture is different out, completely different to out, out here, isn't it? Like no yeah. one who finances, don't, it's kind of a taboo to finance things back home, isn't it? Right. Credit in general, out. credit, the yeah. whole approach to, approach to credit is different. I mean, we do mortgages, of course, everyone yeah. does. But when it comes to cars, you kind of, you either just don't buy it or you've got to try and attain it somehow. Yeah, which um, is, everyone out here is like, if I can afford the monthlies, I'm having it. Yeah. And, and I love it because, and they love but it. But even, even the monthlies are so expensive though. I mean, yeah. when I was, when I was looking at just my, like we ended up buying a, like a simple VW uh, Tiguan here because yeah. of the family. And I really, I've been trying to think about just getting something fun for me. Sure. And I was going to get a Fiat 500 bus. Yeah. I know it's not a very manly car. And I've had no, this I argument with people. Wrong. I've driven it. It's a lot of fun. But they sound great. Yeah. I'm not likely to get pulled over by the police because they probably don't even think I'm fast you enough to screw go. the nuts off it, <laughs> not get over, you know, like you can go through first, second and third and be at 80 mile an hour. Exactly. So, but yeah. I was looking at them and even the cost of those, I was like, I was shocked how much they are to buy brand new. Um, but I also then forget the conversion from pound to to dollar. So I see a number and I'm like, that's expensive. Yeah. And then you and then put I, it in pounds and you're like, oh, okay. Actually, that's quite reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it, it did shock me. F-150s, Mustangs. I was like, ah, I'll get a Mustang while I'm here. You know, be a, like, yeah. you know, get, a, get in amongst it, buy a Mustang. I was like, wow, they're so expensive. So yeah, definitely. What, uh, if you were to have one, I know you mentioned Lotus earlier, but I mean, give me a, give me a dream three car garage. Dream three car garage would be, so I, I want to, I've always wanted a Lotus Elise Mark two. Yeah. Um, in either gunmetal or British racing green with the black wheels add on the exige pack. Sure. I would take an exige, but it's, I was, I kind of liked the, the Elise. I was fine with that. And it was like my attainable supercar. Yeah. Um, but I'm an Aston Martin or through and through. Like I love, and then new, is it the Valhalla? Okay. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's heaven, dude. Yeah. It's like they, I think it was a collaboration with Red Bull that okay. they, they kind of took some of that. That one, I would have to have that in my garage. And then I would have to have an Aston Martin, maybe a, like a Vantage, for example, just for day to day running around. Like you a, the new one or the old one? I would have the newest one. Yeah. That, that new one is beautiful. I think the design of it, the, the curves and the movement of the surfaces, like that's where the designer in me, it's not about like the engine and no, stuff. No, it's like rear quarter with the real, like with the lights. Yeah, like, it's so like, delicate. Yeah. And like it's a brute, right? It's, a, it's V10s, yeah. V8s. And, but it's just such a delicate design now that they're getting to. Mm. And I think Aston Martin, have, considering their financial difficulties, yeah. They are really taking it to the big boys. I mean, I think all the British supercar brands have kind of come from nowhere lately. Yeah. And if uh, Lotus bring out this supercar as well, oh, then yeah. they, like, is it the Avisia, I think it's called? Something like that. The new one. That, yeah. Yeah. Mental. That, that thing looks absolutely mental. So, but that, that would be my three car. It would be an all British lineup, probably a British racing green one in there somewhere. Oh, you got so, it. Definitely. It's got to be in there, uh, but uh, and and like British car design in general, just design in general from the UK is you know a lot of people don't realize how many great designers we have across all mm-hmm. genres from the UK. Um, you know, architecture is obviously a huge one. Right. But, you know, you mentioned like 
uh, yeah, I'm thinking of like Morgan Cars, BAC. Um, who was even that TV, TVR, TVR back in the day? Yeah. You know, TVR trying to make a revival. Um, Morgan for sure. Morgan, I, I, I mean, it's for a certain niche group of people. Sure. You even can appreciate. You can appreciate it. I definitely appreciate it, but it was never for me personally. Yeah. But I mean, even Jaguar right back in the day. Even today, I mean, the Jags are nice. Um, I, I just think with the Jags, they lost their nostalgia a bit when Ford took over sure. and they lost a lot of their, their quality. And I still think that they, they're still trying to regain that part back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like what McLaren are doing now with the amount of supercars they're turning out is absolutely unbelievable. And each one is just progressively getting yeah. better. Yeah. And I think they were, they were saying they're going to deliver 12 cars over five years. No, I don't know how COVID is going to hit that, but 12 yeah. new cars over that time. Yeah, that's a lot of cars. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And there's another, oh, I can't remember whether, oh, um, there's a UK car company as well. I think they're from Leicester or something like that. Is it Bristol? No, not Bristol. They came out, Noble. Noble, yeah. Yeah, that M600 is just nuts as well, isn't it? But would you drive it? It didn't seem that, it seemed a bit uh, crazy. <laughs> someone, someone who's just like, Budget like back back of their house, worked in their shed, found an engine, strapped it to a gearbox, and said, "Here you go." Exactly, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Like, when I was growing up, there, my dad had a good friend. He so uh, have you ever heard of hill racing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's a hill race called Shelsley Walsh, which yeah, is the thing, yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's the oldest is the oldest uh, racetrack in the UK. Okay, and yeah. so my dad and I, I was I was younger, and his friend Phil had a an old Fiat 500, which he converted and put a Rover two liter engine in the back of it. So it didn't even fit in, inside no, the car. It just yeah. was outside of the car. Yeah. And he used to race that up these, uh, up the hills. Right. Yeah. And it was just absolutely crazy. It like, that's another one where it was, it looked awful. The, the way you put it together was awful. It stunk. It was uncomfortable, but it was just, it was the good old boys racing. And that was, yeah. The hill racing is probably closer to what they do here in the U.S., right? It's, it's they throw it together or right. – there was an Audi Quattro there with a 1,000 brake horsepower. And it, it was so powerful going off the line that the whole chassis buckled. Yeah. Like it twisted because it's four-wheel drive. He put his foot down and obviously they didn't engineer something right. And yeah. it just – buckled off the line and then the wheel fell off and i'm like <laughs> unbelievable i was just like that's absolutely amazing but like, this is great like all that energy that they put into it and then they ruin it straight off the line i was like oh, Love shocking it. so of it that's the stuff that like i got friends out here though they just buy an old mustang fox body they put some drag tires on it they find an engine from somewhere and then they just drive it or they they turn it up as much as they can they street race it until it blows up and then they buy another one buy another one i mean there's, there's lots of guys in this neighborhood with them right i mean it's they're all like they are total eyesores right you think about all that money you pay to your hoa right to, yeah, get, yeah. to keep everything clean and then you got these awful rust buckets sitting out front which yeah. they race on the weekends or on memorial weekends for example yeah. And then I'm like, how can you leave that outside? You give me, give me crap about leaving my bin outside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's mental, isn't it? So, different world. We wouldn't have it any other way, would we? Exactly. Exactly. So, well, mate, this has been awesome. Um, great to share some stories. Uh, no doubt I'll have to come down and catch up or whenever you're in town. 
Let's go. This to coffee and coffee and cars sounds good. You have to tell me yeah. a little bit more about that because I'm deaf. Is it a bit like that one in the UK where they they yeah, it's, it's like a, a coffee shop and you turn up with cars yeah. and yeah, it's like the first Saturday of every month usually is uh, the one is here anyway. Just that location, everyone shows up. Usually, if the weather's good, it's it's a good turnout. I assume the Dallas one's mental. Uh, I can imagine so. You know, but yeah, I'll, uh, we'll definitely sort something out. Well, let me know when you're picking up a Porsche and you're coming down and then you can pick me up on the way. <laughs> I hope so. Let me drive you down that far. You can strap me to the wing if you want. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm waiting on that. I've had, I had a Cayman S, which is beautiful. And then I had a Cayenne Turbo Coupe, which was coupe. Um, mental car. It's, I mean, it's 150 grand for a family car. Like, like the, it, it was a tank, but... I mean, it sounded great. I'd never spend that much money on a family car, but nope. some, someone does. So, but no, well, uh, round this podcast up, mate. It's a pleasure. Sounds and, good. Um, you know, everyone listening, go follow Chris at Christopher Chilcott on Instagram and then follow us at Random Car Guys. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers.